Welcome to the Millionaire Secrets Podcast, where the most successful people in the world share their secrets to help you create the awesome life you desire. Welcome to another episode of Millionaire Secrets. This is your host, Jeff Lerner, with you as always. And we are excited to be continuing on our journey to basically put really successful people in a hot seat that they can't squirm out of and ask them all the pressing questions. Um, today, I'm joined by Dr. Ali Abdal. Uh, he is a UK-based physician, YouTuber. Don't, don't hear those two side by side very often. Physician, YouTuber, podcaster, entrepreneur. Um, and as someone who is rocking a YouTube channel with 11,000 subscribers, I can vouch my appreciation for his 1.1 million subscribers. That's exactly 100 times as many as me. So I'm sure that's one of many things we'll be getting into on this conversation. Dr. Ali, welcome to Millionaire Secrets. Hey, thanks very much for having me. This should be fun. Yes, I, I expect nothing less. And uh, again, I appreciate you, you coming on the show. I've been uh, perusing your stuff and a real diversity of, uh, of just great content. Uh, you know, you're, you're clearly a very intelligent person. You're a, what do they call that? A, a polymath, like you're into all these different sort of technical subjects. Yeah, Obviously you're or just a physician. nerd or geek is, is what, <laughs> what other people might say. No, go, go with polymath, man. It's polymath. so much, more, so much that sexier. That sounds a lot better, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, you're into all kinds of cool stuff and, and I've just really enjoyed your channel. Um, you know, I, I usually uh, go check out my guest's channel for five or 10 minutes and I, on yours, I ended up spending about an hour going down oh, a, a few rabbit holes. That. Uh, watching you code your own website, hearing how you how you aced your exams, and you'd walk in and essentially already have essays prepared in your mind for like mm. dozens of topics, and uh, you know on top of that you you passed medical school with flying colors and you're a practicing physician. So um, back me up, man. Like, when did you decide that you were going to be like a professional genius? <laughs> a professional genius. Um, so uh, growing up through school, I was always interested in learning how to code. I think it was in the seventh grade when I, was, when I would have been like 11 or 12 years old that I first saw someone in the computer room. Uh, he was just, you know, on the Google homepage and right clicked view sourced and all this like text yeah. came up. I was like, oh, that's really cool. And I kind of did, decided at that point that I wanted to learn how to code. And then because me and my friends, you know, we were... Uh, we were the sort of the, the academic, but not very cool kids of the school. We would kind of get together in the computer room at, at break times and lunch times, and we'd play these online text-based games. And I kind of had the idea I, sort of that it, it would be cool to make my own online text-based game. And so that, that was what set me on the path to learning how to code HTML, CSS, PHP, that kind of stuff. And I eventually stumbled into the world of freelance where I would advertise my services and try to uh, undercut all of the other um, Indian outsourcing companies um, to work on small websites and things. So I sort of did that throughout uh, high school, uh, throughout middle school and high school. We call it secondary school in the UK. Um, eventually it got to the point where I was, I, I kind of had this bug of making money online. And so every, every year I would try and set up this new business, some affiliate marketing scheme, something or another, uh, and they all completely failed. But all of those opportunities uh, or all of those failures taught me about how to build a website and how to build a landing page and how to write sales copy and all of that stuff. So that when I 
ended up getting into medical school in like 2012. At that point, I had an idea that, hey, why don't I run a company that teaches courses to other aspiring uh, medical school applicants? Um, and because I knew how to, make a, how to make a website and knew how to make a landing page and stuff, it, this company just ended up doing really well because in 2012, it was a lot harder than it is today to make a pretty looking website. Mm-hmm. And so that was what started my sort of successful entrepreneurial journey because so that business ended up making pretty decent money throughout medical school. And it was because I wanted to do some content marketing for that, that in 2017, five years later, I decided to set up a YouTube channel uh, because no one was really doing video content around medical school admissions. And then the YouTube channel just sort of started to grow because initially it started off with a very niche audience of medical school applicants. But then over time, it sort of expanded out a little bit and I would have these sort of random videos here and there that just did really well and just, you know, went, went viral. And so my channel kind of morphed from a purely medical student thing into more of a student thing and then more of a productivity thing and then more of a tech thing. And now it's this weird mix of random stuff which sometimes I struggle with because people say that you should have like a very firm target audience in mind. And I feel like I kind of do a little bit of everything that I'm interested in, but it's also the sort of YouTuber that I want to be the the kind where I don't think too hard about what what videos I'm going to make. I just kind of make whatever I feel like, and hopefully the audience is there for that. So that was just like a quick whistle stop tour through the journey so far. Yeah, well, it's it's such a cool journey, and I, I have to say, I, I totally relate on the YouTube and, and really just on the personal branding in general. You know, you're 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 meant to be uh, you're meant to be very easy for the mass audience to quickly assess and make a decision about, and you know, categorize in their some little cubby that's easy to process, and then you know, decide if they like you or not. And it is it's it's much harder to be like a really complex human being because uh, then people have to assimilate all this stuff. Like, what is this guy? Who is this guy? Mm. Well, he's actually just a, a person and people are not unilateral and simple. Um, and, and I've struggled with the same thing. My channel is called Millionaire Secrets. My show is called Millionaire Secrets. Um, but uh, I think it gets boring talking about how to make money over and over and over. <laughs> so... <laughs> So uh, I, I've, I've expanded my brand. I mean, yeah, it's the same thing, man. I'm a digital marketer. Everybody wants to know how I made money. Everybody wants to know how I won these awards for generating whatever amount in sales funnels. And it's like, that's cool. But the reality, and I suspect this is true for you too, is the reality of like being successful in the world is to, to you know, kind of a, creating standards, having standards and applying them to whatever you're doing. And as opposed to just saying, well, I mean, maybe it'd be different if I was an athlete or, or you were an athlete. It'd be like, well, I, I got rich playing basketball. That's what I did. Mm. The rest of my life could be a complete train wreck, but I'm really good at basketball. So that's my secret. But I, that's not how like we are most people. Right. Um, so, so talk a little bit about that. Like you wake up every day. First of all, do you, do you like have a medical practice? Uh, it's- Ish. So uh, I'm two years into being a doctor and the way, the way that it works in the UK is after you graduate medical school, which, so uh, firstly, you go straight to medical school from high school. We don't do college. We don't do undergrad degrees. You decide at the age of 16 that, right, I want to be a doctor. And then you gear up your application for the next two years. And then you get into med school at the age of 18. And usually med school lasts five or six years. And so you spit out uh, at the age of 24 as a as a quote doctor or a physician, and then you have doctor in your title. 
but then for the first two years, uh, you're, you're what we call a foundation year doctor. So I suppose it's sort of like uh, a US-based intern in that you're doing multiple specialties, you're working a sort of un under heavy supervision. Really, you're not doing a lot of things by yourself. And then after those two years, you can then choose to apply for a training program or a residency. And so I've just finished my first two years of kind of being a junior doctor, uh, as, as what we call it. And I'm in the process of applying for residencies now. I've taken a bit of a break, a bit of a sabbatical for medicine because the YouTube and the business stuff is going so well. I intended to travel the world, but then the whole coronavirus thing happened. So that's not happening. And I'm vaguely toying with the idea of maybe moving to the US. So I'm taking a year, maybe two, maybe three out to just like explore my options, maybe travel the world a little bit, depending on, on the lockdown situation, uh, while trying to grow the YouTube, grow the, the different sources of revenue, uh, in the hope of eventually becoming an em emergency medicine physician and working in, in emergency rooms, either in the US or in the UK or maybe Australia, not entirely sure yet. So I don't really know what's going on with my life, but that's where I'm at on the medical front. Well, that sounds so um, sort of classically Epicurean to just say, I'm going to just take a year and travel the world and find myself and my path. It, I, I love it. But here's the thing, man. And this is, this is like, right in line with my mission and my message in this world is when you leverage the tools of the new economy, you create a whole different set of possibilities for your life that sounded anywhere from implausible to completely insane 20 years ago. Say, oh, I, I make tutorial videos and talk about kind of whatever. And I post them to this video sharing site and people watch and, oh yeah, yeah, no, I'm not, a, I'm not actually a doctor yet, but I already make more money than most doctors. Like, you know, I mean, it sounds crazy, but it's literally your life. It's, it's what's possible in the world today. So I love it. I love that your path is non-traditional because it illustrates my point that I'm, mm. I feel sometimes like I'm shouting in the woods trying to make this point of like, you can have any life you want. You just have to embrace these tools. So you said you started your YouTube channel in 2017. Yeah. Um, did you, did you have any sense that it, it could be a career? At the time? No, absolutely not. I think I probably had in the back of my mind that, Hey, you know, some YouTubers make it big and it would be cool to be a big YouTuber. But I remember when I started out, I knew someone in, in real life who had 4,000 subscribers. And so I was like, Oh my God, 4,000. And I kind of thought that, okay, 4,000 seems doable. Like, I, I, I was pretty sure I had better production value than this friend that I knew. And I was like, okay, 4,000 4, is manageable. And then at the same time, I knew of someone who had 20,000 subscribers. And that seemed like a compl like completely impossible goal, completely right. out of reach to the point that I wasn't even going to consider it a goal because it would be like me thinking I'm going to win the gold medal in the 100 meters or something ridiculous <laughs> like that. And then as it started to grow, I remember, I remember when I hit like 10K, like 15, 20K subs, still not quite believing that I'd ever hit hundred K and still just kind of thinking, okay, yeah, I bet it's, you know, I bet it's uh, going to plateau from here. And I always had in the back of my mind that, Hey, this is really fun. I want to enjoy the journey. I don't want to focus on the destination, which is why I'm not a huge believer in setting goals, especially numerical ones. And then it just kind of kept growing. And I guess over the last three years, um, I've been able to build a team around it and expand the workflows. And we've now got it to a pretty good point where we're thinking about diversifying away from YouTube and, trying to grow other sources of revenue like courses and downloads and a membership site and all of the stuff that you're familiar with as a marketer. Um, and over time, the, the, channel, the channel has just kept, kept on growing. And so we had a million subs, I think, two weeks ago, and it's already on 1.1 million. And 
I, I just try very hard to not think about the numbers and to actually just keep my head down, enjoy the process, enjoy the journey and think about, okay, what, what are we working on next? So. Well, I, I appreciate that because I do think that so many people are preoccupied with kind of this mega result. Um, you know, and, and, and I work in, in my, in my work, I deal with a lot of people that are very aspirational when it comes to the internet, they're going online and right. You know, I'm, I'm grateful. They've, they've, they've heeded my message. They've been like, Hey, this Jeff guy said that the internet, you know, has this massive opportunity for me and they go online, but then they kind of forget what everything you just said about like, well, yeah, but enjoy the journey. Like it's a process. It's, it, it's frankly, it's, it's very slow. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like, like the good news is you grow up faster than in actual life. In actual life, it takes you, what, theoretically 18 years to grow up. I would say in internet time, you can, you can mature into a, a really viable business within, you know, a few years. But, but even those few years, there's a lot to savor in yeah. those few years and not, not to be in such a rush. So I'm, I'm curious, do you, do you remember your kind of growth journey over like, let's say the last... Was it, is it four years now you've been operating your, your channel? Yeah. 1920. Yeah. So sort of three, three, three and a bit years. Um, I remember, I think it took me about eight months to get to about 5,000 subscribers. Okay. That's and I was, I, I was making between two or three videos a week. Okay. And then at that point, I did a collaboration with this person I knew who had, who had 20K. Uh, he, he was on 60K at the time. I was like, whoa, 60K, that's like totally impossible. And that collaboration um, sort of got a lot of new eyeballs to my channel. But I think, I think what was good about that is that I had a backlog of videos that were pretty high quality, that were pretty reasonable. And so when I got suddenly more eyeballs on my channel, people, st people stuck around. They didn't just right. kind of be like, okay, cool, he's got three videos. They saw I had 63 videos and watched them and, and subscribed and all that. Um, and then immediately after that, just by coincidence, I had a few videos that just randomly went viral and that really skyrocketed the growth of the channel. So I think in the first, uh, in the first year, I think we got to about 50 K in year two, by the end of year two, it was in around 300 K and, um, now we're kind of halfway through year three and it's on like 1 million. So things grow pretty fast provide like once the flywheel starts to turn, but it's pretty slow, pretty early on. And like, you know, I went through about six, 60, 70 videos with a few thousand subscribers before things started to really take off. Yeah. And, and I can speak to that. And, and, you know, my experience is not particularly important for our audience here, but it does speak to, I think the broader reality of building a YouTube channel, which is, by the way, I think that building a YouTube channel is just about one of the best assets you could create for yourself in the modern world. I mean, it's, to me, it's as real as owning an apartment complex. Mm. When you own a, a high performing, really not, not, I mean, I say high performing. I mean, it just mean like a valuable YouTube channel that's been built with love and attention and time. Um, but, you know, for me, I've been doing it for two years. And admittedly, I had no plan. I had no focus. I had no even clear target of what I was doing for probably the first year. But, you know, I just cracked 11,000. Um, and and it's, it's cool because now I can see, it's like you say, there's a compound, there's a, there's a compounding effect. You know, yeah. year two, year three, they're, all, they're not going to be a little better than the year before. They're going to be like 10 times better than the year before. Um, 
And so now at this point, I mean, you've got, you know, I can, I can do some rough math based on your niche and based on your subscribers and based on what I see is very good engagement on your videos. I mean, you're, you're getting engagement on your videos. Like you're getting view counts. I mean, you have a video from a year ago that's got four and a half million views. You know, and a year ago you had what, three to 500,000 subs. So I mean, that's a lot of views relative to subs. So you've got some pretty engaging content. By the way, the production value on your content's really good. I think that's a big part of why your channel's grown quickly. Oh, thanks. Yeah, um, that was something I, I definitely wanted to invest in early on. I, because people say sometimes that, hey, it's not about the camera, it's about the story you tell. And yes, that's true, but you know, especially because initially it was meant to be a vehicle to content market my business and I could afford to buy camera gear as a business expense. That just completely transformed it because uh, I think that was one of the unfair advantages that I had early on because I was a student and no other student could realistically afford to spend £3,000, $4,000 on camera gear. But because I had the successful business already, uh, I could kind of leverage the money from that to sort of funnel it into the YouTube channel. And I think that was a big driver for growth early on. And what, what was the successful business that you had already? It was the web development business? Uh, no, so it was, a, it was a business to get to help, get, help students get into medical school. And so I made a website from that through my coding oh, background okay. and then built a sort of a question bank, software as a service, all of that stuff on top of that. Um, so that was what provided the initial revenue to be able to afford camera gear and microphones and lights and stuff. Yeah, yeah, I got you. No, it, and it is. It's, it's definitely an advantage when you, when you can afford decent gear. But, but also, you don't, you don't have to have it. I mean, the reality is your average cell phone now has a camera, higher quality camera than what they were using to make Hollywood movies 20 years oh, ago. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I've got a video called how to, how to Get Started on YouTube with Just Your iPhone where I show that, hey, you know, I'm filming this video using just my iPhone. Believe it or not, it's just an iPhone video. So... I should literally probably make that same video. It sounds like a yeah. very, a very good video that's easy to get a lot of eyeballs on. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, so so now, and I, you know, I have this swirl. I have a million questions because your story's so just kind of uniquely cool. But um, let's let's stick with the channel for now. So you have a YouTube channel again. I'm kind of doing some math. 1.1 million subs. I know your niche. You're making really good money from this channel. Like you don't, you're not one of these kids that and you're not a kid, but you like, you know what I mean? These kids that are like, I got to hurry up and get making money. Cause I got all the student loans I got to pay off mm. and I got to get into the, the economy and like, you're, you're making money at this point. So how does that impact your plan moving forward with medicine? Yeah, it completely changes the game. Um, so one question that I've been asking all of the doctors that I meet, since I, I first got into medical school was that, hey, look, if you were to win the lottery, would you still be a doctor? Yeah. And in my kind of eight years of asking that, half of the people that I've asked the question to say they would leave medicine completely. One guy even said, honestly, I would leave in the middle of an operation. Um, and the other half of the people have said, I would still do medicine because it's fun to be a doctor, but I would definitely do it part-time. And that kind of suggests to me that sort of, Money is, you know, when push comes to shove, all of these doctors who I, I'm, I'm hanging out with, I'm seeing on placements, I'm seeing in the hospitals, they're not really enjoying their jobs that much if half of them would leave immediately and the other half would go part-time. And it's money that seems to be the crucial factor here. And so ever since I, I first read the four-hour work week when I was 17 or 18 years old, I had in my mind that I don't want to be in this position where potentially I'm older and I'm working as a doctor, but it's not as fulfilling as I once thought it would be. And, I'm, and I've, I've ended up being shackled to this job that I might not enjoy. 
And so I spent the last kind of eight years of my life since discovering that book, chasing this thing of multiple sources of passive income and, and all of this stuff. And now I'm at the point where kind of the, the income from all my stuff, like the YouTube, the, the, the online classes and, and things like that, very, very comfortably covers my lifestyle. And that completely changes what I can do with my life because I'm now taking a sabbatical for medicine. I'm spending that time wanting to travel the world, maybe do a placement in Australia in emergency medicine for a bit, focus on more videos, focus on more content, writing a book, all, all, all of this stuff where a lot of my friends who also went to Cambridge to study medicine and, and, and they're all doctors are kind of having, having to work in medicine to make ends meet. And that's not to say they don't enjoy it, but I'm pretty sure if they had an, you know, a six-figure six sum in the bank, for example, they would be potentially making different decisions with their life. So it's one of those things where, where people say that money doesn't buy happiness, but it certainly buys freedom. And that's what I'm trying to take advantage of at the moment. Like while I'm young, while I'm relatively unencumbered, while I'm, you know, I don't have a wife and kids, it is a pretty good time, you know, if it weren't for coronavirus to do interesting things like traveling around the world and stuff. Well, I'm 41 and I'm married and I have four kids. And I will say money still buys freedom. Passive income generated from the internet still buys a lot of freedom and still buys a lot of uh, fun, cool stuff that you can do. You just take your family. Um, you know, we, we, I've, I, I literally, even my son, he, uh, he's been working the last few months at a, like a drive-in, like he makes burgers and fries and runs them out to people's cars and stuff. It's like, he likes it cause he gets to talk to people and he's a pretty social kid, but it's not like glamorous work and it doesn't pay for crap, you know, but uh, you know, he got a good taste of uh, frankly, the kind of stuff that most people have to do, you know, to, to, to make ends meet. And uh, I just bought him uh, his first, we, he actually put all of the money he made from his business and I matched him dollar for dollar and we bought an e-com store uh, off of a site that sells e-commerce, you know, oh, already operating e-com businesses. Yeah. And now I'm teaching him how to manage the virtual assistant that handles the support tickets and the inventory and fulfillment. It's, it's uh, drop shipping, so he doesn't have to deal with inventory. I'm teaching him how to run the Facebook ad campaigns. And, you know, he's a 16-year-old kid. He's like literally, I mean, this, this little store selling a super niche product He's probably, he's like, if he doesn't have, or if he doesn't want to, he's never going to have to go get a job. Um, and, and, you know, it's just, so, so maybe you've experienced some of the same sensation I have, where it's like, once you crack the code, once you, let's say, uh, disconnect from the matrix, right? Like you wake up mm. and you're like, oh, this is how the world can work, right? If I'm proactive. And yet you look around and you feel like, hey, I've demonstrated this to, all the, to the, anyone watching. And yet most people watching still aren't, they're, they're, they're acting like it's too good to be true, right? And so for, for me, I'm like, look, I have a 16-year-old kid who's going to run an e-com business. That, by the way, just about anybody listening could afford to buy a turnkey e-com business that's already functioning and already generating profit because the multiples on e-commerce businesses are not that high. Uh, you could go on Empire Flippers, you could go on Flippa.com and you could buy one of these stores or you, there's a variety of other things you could build online, including a YouTube channel. But it's like, I can demonstrate this stuff to people all over the world. Even my 16-year-old son is going to now be demonstrating it. But the reality is most people are going to watch us and act like it's for us, but not for them and go about their life and not be able to retire until they're 70. 
how what what's the the response that you're getting from other people who could very easily be doing what you're doing but you know they're not most likely like how do they react yeah that's the interesting thing so i think uh, i think up until recently i i don't think many people that i knew realized how kind of successful the online the online money online thing could be um and then like occasionally people would ask me at work uh this was say let's say a year or two ago people would ask me very occasionally if i'd be on 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 a night shift and someone would feel comfortable enough to ask me like so you know this youtube thing do you do you actually make money through it i'd be like oh yeah it makes about about as much as my doctor's salary which at the time was about three thousand dollars a month and they're sort of eyes would just pop out there like, whoa, like, you know, off, off of making this like one or two videos a week, you're making $3,000 a month. That's absolutely insane. But then a few months ago, I think about six months ago, I made a video uh, called how much money I earn as a doctor and YouTuber. And in that I broke down like six different sources of passive income that I had. And at the, at the time, my total uh, that I mentioned was about $20,000 a month. Uh, and when people saw that video, like that video went, went viral and I, I had a lot of friends who work as doctors in the UK who were, who were messaging me to say that random people at work were talking about that video in their hospitals all, all around the country. And I think off the back of that, a lot of people that I know slash, you know, medical students and doctors are now trying to get into this YouTube thing. So I think I'm not sure I'd go so far as to say that everyone should start a YouTube channel. Certainly, I think everyone should put themselves out there online in some capacity, whether it's through Twitter or through having a blog. But for the right sort of people, the people who can see a bit, because I think it does take a level of faith and a level of consistency to actually succeed at this game. And the thing I always say to, say to people is that, look, if you want to make money online, uh, there's basically three, three broad ways of doing this, as, as you know. Number one, you can sell services. Number two, you can sell products. And number three, you can sell attention. And I got started by selling services as a web designer and then products, you know, these courses for medical applicants. But now the thing that I sell is attention. And when you have attention, when you have an audience of people that know, like, and trust you, it just superpowers all of the services and all of the products that you want to sell to that audience. It's absolutely magical. Um, but to build that audience, you have to follow a three-step process. And this is what I always say, that, that the three steps are, number one, create valuable content. Number two, put it on the internet for free once a week. And number three, do that for two years. Uh, <laughs> And it's that third bit that everyone, everyone, like most people I know, fall down on because no one, like very few people have the faith and the consistency to plug away at it once a week for two years. But I think if you can hit that cadence and get to that point, then as you said, the flywheel starts to turn, you start to get exponential growth. And then the whole game gets changed completely. Um, and certainly there are people I know who started YouTube channels uh, after seeing mine about a year, you know, two, a year ago, two years ago who are now on several hundred thousand subscribers and making so much more money off the YouTube channel than they would ever make from their job as doctors, even if they were like super senior in the UK. So it definitely has the power to change lives. It's just that I don't think it's, it's, it's just that people don't stick with it for long enough. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I didn't prompt you. Like I didn't, I didn't plant the answer before we hit record. That was your answer, not mine, but it's the exact answer I was hoping you'd give, which is like, it's just about, consistency and 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 stamina hmm. it's literally all it is like you know you imagine a job where it's like listen i need you to show up every day and do your job and in two years you're going to be able to re 
you know, let's say, shoot, make it five years. In five years, you're going to be able to retire. And, and you're, you're 41 years old. Wait, you're saying that if I just show up and do my job for five years, I can retire when I'm 46? Heck yeah, sign me up, right? Yeah. But for some reason on the internet, people don't respond the same. It, it is. It's the, it's the never-ending vexation of my life as a digital business evangelist. <laughs> yeah. I, I, so I love, I love when I get guests. I, you know, I never know what to expect, but when I get a guest that like embodies that, um, you know, I like, to, I like to highlight it. So, and the other thing I noticed is that when you were talking about medicine, you mentioned twice now, you've mentioned doing emergency medicine. Mm. So I got to think that's, is part of that because you say, hey, I've got this medical training. I still want to do it, but I want to apply it in a way that's literally saves lives because I'm not having to choose my practice or my, my special, special, specialization, I guess, based on the financial reward. Yeah, uh, kind of. There is the, uh, with emergency medicine, it's nice because when you're working in the emergency room, you do have a, like, if, if someone comes to you with a dislocated shoulder, you can fix it there and then. If someone comes to you with a fractured arm, you can, you can sort it out. With a lot of hospital medicine, uh, it's, it ends up being more like a prolonged case of, this is an elderly lady. She's got like 18 different medical problems. She's got 20 different drugs that she's on. Let's try and optimize this. It's, it's less kind of immediately satisfying, like something like emergency medicine is. Mm -hmm. Emergency medicine is also nice because it lends itself very nicely to working part-time. Um, maybe I'm, I'm, I'm young and naive, but I'm a strong believer that nothing is fun as a full-time job. And so <laughs> for me, in terms of lifestyle design, as Tim Ferriss would say, the more I can optimize for variety and for freedom, something like emergency medicine, there are so many people who work two or three days a week, sometimes even one day a week, it also gives you the option to travel the world and do things like, you know, Doctors Without Borders, humanitarian medicine. It gives a, an interesting kind of lifestyle because I do enjoy medicine. I just don't want to do it as a full-time job. Equally, I enjoy YouTube, but I don't want to do it as, as, as a full-time job. Um, so my kind of overall goal, I guess, which isn't really a goal, it's kind of just what I'm doing now, is just kind of keep on doing the stuff that I enjoy and kind of dabble in a few different things in a part-time capacity so I've got time to kind of spend on, on like family and friends and like whatever else I happen to want to do at the, in, in the moment. Well, I totally uh, understand where you're coming from because I very much enjoyed playing piano, but I didn't, I reached a point absolutely where I did not want to do it as a full-time vocation. I didn't want to do it out of necessity. I didn't want mm. to do it under the pressure of saying you have to play this many gigs this month in order to pay your rent. Like mm. it just sucks all the joy out of a thing when you're essentially enslaved to it. Yeah, and I think, uh, have, you, have you come across a guy called uh, Derek Sivers? No, please tell me more. Uh, oh, so he used to, he was, he was actually a professional musician as well. Um, he became big because he founded a company called CD Baby back in the day, which was how, like, like the original way for um, artists to sell their songs like pre, like in the early days of the internet. And okay. he ended up selling, selling this company for like 22 million and you know, giving it to a charitable trust. And now, and, and, and he's written a really good book uh, called Anything You Want, which is about 40 lessons for a new kind of entrepreneur. But he was, he's also got like a really good blog at sivers.org. And it's a real source of inspiration for me. Uh, he talks a lot about this idea of um, doing, doing your art and doing the stuff that you love. And he speaks from his experience as a professional musician. And he says that kind of exactly what you said just now, which is that the quickest way to start to hate something is to make it, make it your full-time job. 
Like if you're doing art uh, and you're trying to make a living from your art, you're going to realize that 80% of the time you're actually doing admin and business dev and the, the yeah. stuff that you don't enjoy. So what you should do is you should uh, do your art. You should charge a little bit of money for it because, you know, charging money for stuff is just fun and a useful skill to have, but you should do something else that makes the money. Um, and so, <laughs> yeah, that's kind of even how I think of my YouTube channel. Like I don't want it to be the only source of revenue that I'm reliant on because then it would start to feel like work. I want it to be one of many things so that none of them feel like work. And actually earlier this morning, I had my first uh, piano lesson. I was learning the, uh, the two, five, one progression. Uh, this guy was teaching me the pentatonic scale on the piano because I've been dabbling with playing piano by ear for the last few years and never really had a proper lesson. So I'm looking forward to diving more into like jazz and music theory and all of this sort of stuff. Well, we'll have to stay in touch about that just because I, now that I don't do music professionally, I actually am super passionate about talking about it and teaching it. In fact, I'll share this with you because you might enjoy the episode. Um, are you familiar with James Altucher? Oh yeah. Yeah. I love his podcast. Okay. So uh, I was on James Altucher's podcast several weeks ago. Maybe mm -hmm. it's been a month. I don't know, three or four weeks at least. And uh, we were doing a, one of his series called it's like side hustle Fridays or something where I was teaching about how to set up a digital agency and get local clients and, you know, make money selling digital marketing services. But I guess he's a, a kind of a dilettante musician and before we even got into talking about it, he started asking me all these questions about music and how I was self-taught and how I, you know, if I could play by ear and all this stuff. And we ended up having this pretty lengthy conversation about it where I actually took my phone. Over, I have a Steinway in my office like oh. that way, about 20 feet away. And I took my phone over there and I actually modeled some stuff for him and kind of gave him a little lesson. He ended up cutting it and making it a whole other episode of his podcast that he released nice. um, that's about how to teach yourself to play music by ear. And I don't, I don't remember exactly. But anyway, if you Google James Altucher, Jeff Lerner, I don't know, piano or musician or something, you'll find the episode. It's actually pretty cool because uh, oh, it was so spontaneous. I, I didn't even nice. know it was an episode, right? <laughs> that's very cool. Um, but uh, you, so you might enjoy that, but uh but yeah, if you're learning two five one progressions, I love it. You're getting right into the um, the technical stuff. The, it's like the math of music. That's the thing I find a lot of musicians, um, you know, they I don't know if they dodge it or they just don't know how important it is. But they they don't want to get into like the the math and the the logic mm -hmm. of music. They want to stay more in like the artistic and what feels good and what sounds good. But man, the math is what unlock. It's like coding. You yeah, know? like the that's what the, unlocks the power. Yeah, absolutely. That's the bit of, of, of music that I really like because I think uh, just <laughs> while we're on this tangent, when uh, in, uh, in 2014, I was in my third year of medical school out of six. And, I, and just com by complete coincidence, I just happened to have a piano in my room because like, you know, it's normally reserved for music students, but I got lucky in the ballot and no one wanted it. And so I, I got this piano in my room. And so I started teaching myself like how to play. Uh, I, I would, I downloaded the ultimate guitar tabs app and I would find sort of songs that I wanted to play and play the chords for them and sing along. And I'd realized that actually uh, th this sounds really cool. If I just kind of alternate my fingers on the left hand and, Oh, I can play a triad on the right hand. And, and I sort of built up this very kind of maths pattern based, um, like my own version of music theory when it comes to, when it came to playing chords and without having any piano lessons or anything, um, I would just kind of play and sing along and people would come to my room being like, oh, how, you know, how long have you been, been playing the piano for? It, it must be years. I was like, no, man, I got this piano in my room like three weeks ago. 
and it's just simple maths. It's like anyone anyone can do this. Um, and I'm I'm working on my own my own like online course now, which is like how it's going to be about how to play the piano and sing along with it to make it look as if you can play the piano, but actually not being able to play the piano entirely based on the maths of like following a triad and a chord progression and then just kind of singing singing over the top of it. Yeah, it's it's really. So I want to talk a little more about that. One of the things I used to do that's really great foundational training for getting into much more elaborate, much more sophisticated harmonic structures is to just go around chord progressions and in the left hand play the root, yep. in the right hand play the third and the seventh of whatever the chord is. Oh, okay. And as you're moving from, from you know, like around a two, five, one, the third and the seventh will usually resolve to the third and the seventh of the next chord pretty smoothly. You oh, know, okay. It's very smooth, linear. You sound like a, you sound like you know what you're doing way more than you actually do. If you just do that, especially if you can sing over it. Oh, uh, sick! I will, I will try that as soon as this is done. I've got the piano right next to me. Like yeah, third, yeah, third and seventh. That. Oh, amazing! <laughs> it's kind of, it's kind of a cool hack. Um, and you define the third and the seventh are, will actually define the quality of the chord. So a minor seven chord, yeah. a major seven chord, a dominant chord, a diminished chord. The third and the seventh will tell the the ear what kind of chord they are oh so okay so if really, you change up the third and the seventh you change up the style of the chord without actually doing a lot yeah exactly in terms of your hands okay interesting exactly um so anyway you mentioned derek sivers and we're really going i love this conversation by the way these are always the best record the best episodes where we just go where it takes us so i looked up derek sivers while you were talking and he has a ted talk and i'm curious your thought on this because it's a topic that comes up fairly regularly on my show and talking with really, really successful people. His TED talk is called keep your goals to yourself. Mm. And I'm, I haven't watched it. I literally have only known about it for two minutes now, but I'm going to go ahead and guess that what he's saying is that when you let your goals out to the world, you kind of release their power and you open them up to a lot of opinions and the, you know, the, the core, the Greek chorus of, of, opinions and attitudes and negativity and cynicism and doubt. And um, so I'm curious for you, if you subscribe to that or, you know, because building a YouTube channel is by definition kind of the inverse of that, because as soon as you start putting videos out onto the web, you're pretty much telling the world, Hey, I'm here and I'm going to build something. Uh, so I'm curious your take on that. Like, do you have big goals that you're plotting that you're keeping close to the vest or have you just basically decided you know what i'm gonna do what i'm gonna do and people mm. are gonna have their opinions and and if so how do you manage not letting the doubters get into your head because i'm sure i'm sure you've had them and i'll bet even though a lot of people might think that oh well you're out of the woods now i'll bet you still have them yeah oh man i love talking about goals it's like one of my favorite topics because i'm never really sure how to think about goals and for example the the derek sivers approach to them I think I, 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 I haven't seen his TED talk, but he, he, he has a lot of things about goals. I think partly keep your goals to yourself means don't tell people about your goals because of all the negativity it might inspire. I think partly it also means that when you start telling people about your goals, in a way, you immediately get that feel-good sensation. You get the endorphin release. Yeah. And in a way, it actually makes you less likely to achieve that goal because of the fact that you've already told someone. And you know, the people who say, oh my God, I'm going to lose 10 pounds by next week aren't the people who are actually doing the work and losing the 10 pounds. But also, I think like, w what his philosophy is mostly about is about, that, ab about the idea that goals are kind of pointless. And what he says is that 
and uh, there's a there's a line from his book which is like 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 my top favorite quote of all time and he he talks about how when he was building his company he didn't play he didn't he didn't he didn't do anything by the book he didn't bother having like a privacy policy in terms of service and contracts and all of that boring stuff and he would often get phone calls from investors and people being like hey we want to invest in your company but he would be like no man you know i'm I, this is small i'm keeping it small i'm doing a good service i'm enjoying running the company i'm helping my fellow musical artists sell, sell their music. Why do I want investment? Why do I want to grow? Um, and there's a line from the book where he says, uh, never forget why you're really doing what you're doing. Are you having fun? Are you profitable? Are you helping people? Isn't that enough? And I often think about that. They're like, yeah, that really is enough. And, 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 and for me, and, and for anyone, like growing a business or growing a YouTube channel, I think it's so easy to become fixated on the numbers and think, oh God, I've got to hit 2 million subscribers by 2021 and, and, and all that kind of stuff. But I always, I always go back to that quote and think, no, you know, this is fun. It's helping people. It's definitely profitable. And that is more than enough. And so I try not to have goals when it comes to the channel or the businesses. I just aim to enjoy the journey. <laughs> um, and I, I kind of trust that if I'm providing value and enjoying myself along the way, then the numbers will just trend in the right direction. And that's all I care about. That is a really, really great paradigm. You know, if I apply that to myself, am I having fun? Heck yeah, having a blast. Is it profitable? Yes. I would add because I have a family, is it profitable enough? Sure. Yes, it is. Uh, does it help people? Yes, I get that feedback every day. So yeah, man, <laughs> just, just live it, love it, write it out, right? Yeah. Uh, I do like but that. Go, go ahead. Yeah, so the, the reason I, li I like talking about goals is that it's, it's, it seems like everyone has a different opinion on this. So I always ask this question because on, on my YouTube channel, I, I, I interview other podcasters and YouTubers and, and, and stuff. And I always ask, you know, how, how do you feel about goals? Because I know some people, especially like the more business-minded people, like, you know, my, my friend uh, Noah Kagan, who's a sort of, you know, eight-figure eight CEO and all that kind of stuff, mm -hmm. he cares a lot about goals and KPIs and all of the business books that I'm reading at the moment about management and leadership all seem to say that actually goals and KPIs are really helpful to have. And yet then the, the, there's also this undercurrent where I'm thinking, yeah, but having a goal, it kind of encourages a, like if you have a goal, then it, I, I feel like in a way you're choosing to be dissatisfied until you hit the goal. And then once you hit the goal, you're just moving the goalposts anyway. So I haven't quite been able to figure out where's this balance between growing because it's kind of cool and fun and nice and it's good good for you and good for your customers versus you know oh it's fine i'm happy doing what i'm doing and enjoying the process <laughs> i think there's a, a tension there that's not easy to resolve with like a simple a simple tweet i i couldn't agree more i will share with you a, sort of a i don't know a concept that i i go to in my mind a lot mm. around that exact question that gives me a, it gives me a piece that that tension that you're describing is not meant to be reconciled. Um, okay. And that is, first of all, do you watch Breaking, have you ever watched Breaking Bad? Oh yeah, love it. Okay, so you know the name Heisenberg. Of course. <laughs> uh, which obviously you probably know because you're a polymath and you know so much um, that Heisenberg uh, was, was it Werner von Heisenberg? It was an old German physicist or uh, sorry, chemist. No, Physi physicist. physicist. He, was he was a physicist, physicist. yeah. Yeah, he yeah. was a particle <laughs> physicist. And, and the Heisenberg principle is a, you know, a foundation of quantum mechanics that says you cannot, you cannot measure 
the location and the momentum of a particle at the same time. If you try to measure mm. the location, um, it changes the moment. Well, I forget what it is. If you try to measure the momentum, it changes the location. If you try yeah. to measure the location, it changes the momentum, right? Isn't that the, the paradox that you're talking about? Yeah, I guess it kind of is. I've never it's thought of it in that context. It's something cannot be stationary and directional at the same time. Yeah, that's and very I true. Go, oh, hey, man. well, if I go, I look at this situation. And I'm like, all that matters is my trajectory and my momentum. If I actually try to trop, stop and assess my location in, mm. in time, space, money, whatever, I'm going to lose my momentum, just like a particle. So don't worry about it. Just worry about what direction I'm headed in and, that, and be happy with that. Yeah, that's a great way of thinking about it. I'm going to steal that for my next email newsletter. I'm really <laughs> looking for ideas. Yeah, yeah. No, I, and, and thank you. You've given me some good stuff. Too. You've given me um, <laughs> Derek Sivers. So. Oh, he's great. He, he should definitely be on your show. He, you, you, you and him would connect over the music thing and the entrepreneurship thing. Yeah, yeah. I would, actually, I would love that. Um, okay, so you're, it's September at the time we're recording this. So you theoretically would be going into another school year right now, but you're, are you not in presently enrolled? Uh, yeah. So, um, uh, most of my friends are sort of have, have applied for like residency programs and are kind of working, still working as doctors. Now, uh, I'm taking a year out to okay. kind of do this exploring, <laughs> exploring my options, Epicurean wanderlust and, and, and all that kind of stuff. So yeah. Just uh, chilling at home most of the time, co-working in coffee shops with friends when the lockdown rules allow it, and just uh, you know trying to grow the YouTube channel, trying to grow the different streams of revenue, uh, wanting to travel around. Yeah, who knows? So, I, I, for the record, I have an ad running on the internet right now that talks about those people that work in coffee shops. And you sit there and you try to figure out what they do for a living because they don't seem to be in a hurry. They don't seem to have anywhere to be. And then when they do leave the coffee shop, they, you know, they get in like a pretty nice car and drive away. I think in my ad, I talk about it being like a Maserati or something, but it doesn't have to be a Maserati. The point is they're not hurting. And yet in the middle of the day, they're chilling at the coffee shop. Mm. So for any, for all the haters out there that leave me comments <laughs> on my ads telling me what an idiot I am and that such a thing isn't real, look no further. Look no further because <laughs> Dr. Ali is the guy that I made my ad about, um, literally who works in the coffee shop. So I have to ask another question and then I know we got we to gotta wrap the conversation here um, for time, but on my intake form for you where I was asking, you know, hey, give me, give me some good whatever so I know what to talk to you about. Uh, I had a question that said, what is one question you wish you were asked more often? And your answer was, and this is, this is, I've never had this answer before, and it's definitely my favorite answer I've ever had to that question. You said, I reject the framing of this question, and I'm more than happy to go into why. <laughs> so oh, here I, we are. I would love it if you would tell me why you rejected the framing of that question. Um, <laughs> maybe it's just the kind of... Uh, the Brit within me that cares about um, seeming understated, but Ooh. the question of what's a question that you wish you were asked more often? I, f I feel like it sort of puts me in a, a place where I want to impart advice upon people. And I think it's always tricky being in a position where you're, where you're imparting advice upon people because 
I don't know. I think everyone's, everyone's circumstances are different. And I don't think I've done any, anything particularly special. Um, essentially, all I've done is follow a playbook, which uh, like, and is freely available on the, on the internet, wherever you look, that step one, build an audience, step two, monetize the audience. <laughs> and it just seems like, uh, I, I, I don't know, I'm, 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 I'm sometimes even a bit uncomfortable being, in, being interviewed in these sorts of podcasts because, again, like the, the way we're having this discussion, I, I guess for people listening in, it's as if we are the experts. And, and, and certainly for me, like I don't, I don't feel like an expert at all. I just feel like a random dude who <laughs> decided to make a YouTube channel and follow the advice of people like Tim Ferriss and Gary Vee and you know, people who stick all of their stuff in books and freely available on blog posts on the internet. And it just kind of worked out. And I'm not sure how much luck played a role in that. I'm sure it did. I had a lot of unfair advantages stacked in my favor. Uh, but I said, I, re I reject the framing of the question because uh, partly because I couldn't, I couldn't think of a good question <laughs> and, and partly also because, yeah, it just, yeah, it, feel, it feels a bit weird to be the expert when I, I just feel like a normal dude who has just been following a playbook and doing it reasonably well. You, you know, I, I love that answer. And frankly, I totally, I totally feel you. I have another ad online right now that basically the premise of the ad is that billionaires don't have anything to teach you about how to make money. Mm. And, and you, as you might imagine, I get a lot of haters and people telling me it's the stupidest premise ever that of course billionaires are experts on how to make money. But what I tell people is, look, if you wanna know how to make money in your life, you need to find someone who's made money in a way that you could realistically go make money and who did it in an environment that roughly mm. equates to the environment in which you're trying to work in. So learning from Elon Musk about how to found PayPal in the late <laughs> 90s in Silicon Valley requires a whole lot of other variables to be in place that have nothing to do with Elon Musk. Mm. Ditto Mark Zuckerberg, ditto Richard Branson, Ditto Bill Gates, by the way, everyone I just named had rich parents. Like, and it's not a criticism, they're geniuses. They're legitimate, they're like, Google their IQs. They are actual geniuses. But it doesn't mean that they can teach you, the medical student, or you, the factory worker, or you, the, you know, the middle America Walmart employee, how to make more money. Because their experience isn't really relevant to your situation. And what, I, what I've gotten, if anything, I've been recognized online for having made a lot of money online without having those characteristics that would make me so unrelatable and distinct from other people. In other words, I was a broke jazz piano player who just like you went online, looked up how to do this, did it, and my only special I don't know, differentiating factor is that I was probably more obsessed, more consistent, more driven, you know, hung in there longer. And, and I'm just, I'm an insanely hard worker. And I try not to be a dumb worker. Like I try to work really hard and always be getting a little bit smarter with my work, but that's not unique. That didn't require me to be in the PhD program at Stanford, you know, when I was founding PayPal and I was able to drop off or drop out, but still hook up with my professors who connected me to these opportunities. You know what I mean? Mm, like it wasn't yeah. circumstantial. That's actually what makes us, and this is what I've embraced that maybe I can share with you. That's what makes us so valuable to people because mm. we're not actually the esteemed authorities. We're literally just normal people who did a normal thing, but we just did it abnormally consistently 
with an abnormal probably level of faith and conviction because in my experience that's what most people aren't are, are lacking just the faith because you you said it earlier what what did you say it was like they're lacking uh, faith and consistency faith and consistency man are yeah. those are those expensive attributes to come by mm. do you have to go do you have to go buy them at the bugatti dealership yeah they're free so that- yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think one th- so w- one thing that I, st- I, I, str- I struggle with on the marketing front is kind of selling myself. Oh. And it, I, like, it's... <laughs> Let me help you, my friend. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess I always kind of like, especially when it comes to charging money for stuff, like I, I just feel so bad about it. And I know I, know I shouldn't. And I'm trying to kind of actively brainwash myself away from feeling bad about charging for things. Because I guess in my mind, there's always the, the, the thing of what if I just got lucky? What if this sort of elaborate system that I've built around effortlessly churning out YouTube content, which I've dubbed the infinite content engine that I want to turn into a course, what if that's actually just, just kind of snake oil and I'm just trying to sell snake oil to people? And I, I really worry about that. But I've been, I've been having calls with other email marketers and stuff who are helping me out on this, be like, no, you need to stop viewing selling as being a bad thing and start viewing it as being a service to your audience. But yeah well <laughs> hey, I'm gonna say this. here's the thing i'm not yeah. i'm not your coach far be it for me to give you advice but i will express no, my please opinion. give me advice <laughs> I'll, I'll express this opinion to the audience yeah. at large and if it, it serves you too sure. then great giving wisdom giving knowledge wisdom insight perspective experience whatever away for free entirely is disserving your audience Now you give away a lot for free. My YouTube channel, I've been doing it for two years. I have almost 400 videos on there. I give a lot away for free. I'm very passionate about putting myself out there first. Listen, I will show you, you the, the audience, you the interested party, I will show you again and again and again, ad nauseum, ad infinitum, beyond the point of reasonable dispute that this is real, that I know how to do it, that there's science to it, that there's there's a, there's a process, you know, and that you can do it too. I will prove that to you beyond a reasonable doubt. But at some point, if you want me to really, really help you, you're going to have to pay for it. Is it because I need the money? Actually, no. Thankfully, these, these awards and what that, what's behind them has made it so that I literally don't need your money. I'm fine. But if you don't pay me, you won't do it. Hmm. You won't do it. You'll listen to my podcast. You'll be, you'll be 400 episodes into my podcast three years from now when I have that many episodes. <laughs> you'll have watched every video on my YouTube channel. You'll be on 94 other marketers lists. You'll have 700,000 emails in your inbox that you can't even wade through, all with free information that you're not implementing. Because when you pay, you pay attention. When you invest your money, you follow through by investing your energy, your time, your focus. Bottom line is when you put skin in the game, now you start feeling like you're going to look like an idiot if you fail because people are going to go, you blew that money. And even if you don't tell anyone, you're going to know. And all your conditioning around wasting money is going to convict you for not doing the damn work. And if I don't charge you at some point, I I allow you to bypass all that conditioning, all that reinforcement that's actually going to compel you to get the result that you say you want. Hmm. So I harm you if I give it all to you for free. 
That's so true. Like I signed up for, for so many kind of cheap or free online courses and never completed any of right? them. But the one yes. time I paid a thousand dollars for an online course, I have oh, <laughs> it completely changed my life. Apart, right? <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. I was going to get my money's worth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so, you know, and, and listen, I, I went through it too, especially when I reached the point, there was a point for me. In fact, I'll share this briefly it, uh, around 2012, 2013. You know, when I started affiliate marketing, I was a half a million dollars in debt. I, I had two franchise restaurants that went out of business and my audience is all rolling their eyes. They're like, Jeff, we've, we've heard your story, but so this is for you, doctor. Um, by the way, are you actually a doctor yet? Like, or am I breaking a rule when I actually call you doctor? Oh no, I am actually a doctor. Yeah. Okay. So doctor, uh, <laughs> so I was half a million dollars in debt. So when I started marketing, it was like, this is a, this is a desperate act of survival. So, you know, and I was an affiliate marketer, so I wasn't the one charging the money, but I was very interested in earning commissions from the work mm. I was doing. Um, but it reached a point after about five years, I was good. I had gotten out of my hole. I had paid off my debt. I had put some money in the bank. I had a, I had a good life. And I actually got tired of marketing in the pursuit of money. Um, mm, and so okay. I went and started a digital agency because I was like, who is not going to groan and complain about being charged money for what I know? Well, it's businesses. Yeah. Businesses need marketing. Just like when you did contract work for websites, like businesses need websites and they, they have already budgeted the money to pay for it. Hmm. So you're not going to like have that tension around, Oh, I'm trying to convince this person to budget for this. Um, so I ran a digital agency for almost six years because that was my way of charging people without feeling bad. Oh, okay. Um, but I sold that agency in 2018. And when I just, and that's when I got back to doing what I'm doing, teaching, sharing, and, and I give a ton of free content, but I, I knew going in that I was never going to be able to build a business that could actually impact the world if I didn't charge money for my, for my courses and my trainings. And in fact, I'll tell you this too. Um, after a few months of selling courses, I doubled all my prices. Okay. And when I doubled all my prices, consumption went up, refunds went down, chargebacks went down, completion of the courses went up, implementation went up, the average person I was attracting improved in quality, the, 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 the qualitative just conversations and interactions mm. in my Facebook group went up, everything got better because I charged money and then everything got better again when I raised my prices. <laughs> Oh God, everyone, everyone says this. <laughs> it's just so, I, it's, it's, it's one of those things that I, I've heard so often and I, I, I still need to hear more times because <laughs> I still don't, I still can't believe that it's possible. And yet everyone I know who does courses says that the more you charge, the better everything is, the better your audience, the, the lower the refund rate. And, and yeah, all here's that stuff. the thing, you want to be looked at as a less expensive alternative to a Harvard education. Oh, not, interesting. Not, yeah. a, not a Udemy course that's a dime a dozen. Yeah. For real. You know, I, I, want, I tell people, how can I credibly tell people, listen, this is the best. If you want to learn how to build a digital agency on the internet, this is the single hands down best course you can get on the internet. I've brought in my friend who runs a multi-million dollar agency. We've peeled apart his business. We've dissected everything that he does. We're giving you every play in the book. He uses this to generate millions of dollars working from home with two part-time VAs in the Philippines. And here it is. It's $47. What? That sounds like nonsense. No, it's, it starts at two grand. Okay. Now I feel like there's probably some truth to what this guy's telling me. 
Hmm. See, and it's going to speak to a different person. The $47 price point is going to speak to the bargain hunter who's yeah. one of those people that goes to the thrift shop and buys seven pieces of clothing that they're never going to wear just because they were cheap. Right? I mean, not to be too stereotypical about people, but like, I'm a marketer. We have to stereotype people in order to make decisions. Oh, okay. That's just sparked a very good idea in my head because... For for example, this this course that I'm working on for for my YouTube channel, this infinite content engine thing, it's I've I've been struggling to come up with a tagline for it. But I guess the one that's staring me in the face is like this is genuinely the system that I've used to grow my channel from you know zero to over a million subscribers while while working full time as a doctor. And here's how much money this 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 YouTube channel generates. Um, it would it would be silly to have that for free as a class on Skillshare or Udemy, or even to charge like twenty twenty dollars for it. It just wouldn't make any sense at all. But. Yeah, and you'd be you'd be teaching at cross purposes because you're teaching people about monetizing what they know, while essentially abstaining from monetizing what you know. Yeah, you know. <laughs> yes, Anyways, <you're> right. <laughs> so first of all, I think we should get we should circle back on this and just talk more because this is so much fun and. You know a lot that I can learn from. I, I feel like maybe I know some things, you know, oh, how to charge it. money at least for <laughs> yeah. what we know. Um, we should do this. But before we wrap, let's make sure that our audience knows how to go deeper into your world. Obviously, your YouTube channel seems like an, an obvious place to start. It's uh, Ali Abdal, A-B-D-A-A-L, right? That's the one, yeah. And uh, alternatively, my website, aliabdal.com. And that'll have links to to all of the things so podcast newsletter courses which i might start charging more for so at the, at the moment you can get them all for <laughs> by signing up for skillshare but <laughs> maybe yeah, so maybe in, in a few now. weeks <laughs> get in now if you're just hearing this uh, before i convince ali to triple all his prices um and uh just i want to let the audience know as well that we've taken our millionaire shortcut uh digital download book that teaches the fastest way to become a millionaire and we've um put a special offer together at millionairesecrets.com forward slash Ali A. Uh, you can download a free copy in his honor for being on the show. And um, doctor, this has been wonderful, man. Thank you for being a guest on Millionaire Secrets. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. It's been a lot of fun. <laughs> for sure. All right, man. Uh, and to the audience out there, thank you as always for participating in our show or listening on our, on our podcast. We will see you on the next episode. Take care. You just finished this episode of the Millionaire Secrets Podcast. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please like and share this episode and do leave us a review. Let us know how we impacted you today. Your next step toward creating your awesome life is to join me and thousands of others in the Entre Nation community where you'll receive free training, networking with other awesome life seekers, access to live events, discounts, merchandise, and other awesome perks head over to www.entrenation.com. That is www.entrenation.com and join us today. And of course, do please follow me on social media. I can be found on all the major social networks at Jeff Lerner Official. Thank you again for listening and please go be awesome.